0: You're listening to McBee Care Threads, a podcast where leaders across the healthcare industry can learn from each other. We'll discuss stories and explore strategies to help providers deliver value-based care and hear your peers share their best practices for success. Let's get into the show.
1: Good day. This is Jeff Silverstein of McBee, and welcome to our McBee Care Threads podcast. I am joined today by Kim Lane. She's the Senior Director for Post-Acute Operations at Banner Health. Banner is a large nonprofit integrated delivery network and is headquartered in Phoenix, Arizona. Banner Health is regarded and recognized as a top health system in the country for clinical quality consistently provided to patients in their hospitals. They operate 29 hospitals, including three academic medical centers and other related health entities and services in six states. This includes home care, hospice, and skilled nursing facilities. Kim manages the operations for their home care operations. Kim, thank you for joining me today. Let's start with a brief introduction. You are presently the Senior Director for Post-Acute Operations at Banner Health. Tell us if you would about your role and a little more background on you.
2: Well, thanks for the invitation, Jeff. I'm really excited to be here today. I am a nurse by training, and have spent almost my entire career in home health and hospice. Early on, I did take a brief detour um, and spent some time at an LTAC, and that really taught me that home health and taking care of patients in their natural environment really is what brings me joy and drives my passion. I also realized early in my career that I really like being part of a nonprofit organization. It really important to me to, do work by a company that's re- really driven by a mission. As my career advanced, I found that my passion was in finding ways to improve the way we care for patients and truly engaging with patients and populations to drive their health and well being. I also found that being part of a healthcare system really allows me to use my creativity and gives me the freedom to look at giving care differently and thus. I am now working at my third not-for-profit health system. In my current role, I have full operational and clinical responsibility for Banner's home health businesses, and we operate in two different states at this point in time. A couple of the things that really impressed me as I came to Banner is number one, how much their mission truly drives their focus and really how well they have tried to integrate post acute services within this spectrum of care that they provide. On my very first day at Banner, I was introduced to Sophia. And in Banner, Sophia is a representation of every single patient that we take care of. And not only do we talk about Sophia, but we talk about Sophia's family, those caregivers, those loved ones of all of the patients that we take care of. So when we talk about making healthcare easier so life can be better, we're always asking the question, what's the right thing to do for Sophia? And it really does drive our operational and clinical work because we're truly focusing on not just the general patient, but a specific idea and someone we can picture in our minds. And then when we talk about integration, Post-acute is at the table with all of the conversations. We talk with the system about the same quality metrics, the same cost and the patient experience and are really working to align our clinical practices all the way from the primary care offices through to hospice and really look at those clinical best practices.
1: I love that Sophia analogy. That is really um, unique. I imagine that's had a, a great impact on your team and has done wonderful things for how your organization drives decision-making. So can you um, tell us a little bit about your agency, the size, some of the specific services you provide, anything that would be valuable to provide some additional context?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Our current footprint consists of six different branches. Four of them are here in Arizona, with two being in the Phoenix metropolitan area. We have one down in Tucson, and then one up in a small mountain community by the name of Payson. And then we have two offices up in the Northern Colorado area, Greeley as well as Loveland. Our average daily census is about 2,000. And in 2020, we served over 14,000 patients and completed just shy of 240,000 in-person visits. On top of that, the number of video visits that we did sharply ramped up about March. Right now, we do provide the general typical home health, Medicare home health. We have nursing, home health aides, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapists, and social work. But in addition to those, we do have a dietitian on service who does consults for any patient that has a concerning nutritional assessment. We also have advanced nursing serv- advanced wound nursing services that consult on all of our difficult wounds and really are driving that best practice. And then we have telehealth services. And through those telehealth services, we have partnered with the hospital during the COVID time to create a COVID at home program that allows patients to discharge from the hospital earlier than normal. And we do some really intensive education and monitoring. Additionally, we are venturing into doing things just a little bit different and looking at how do we transform the way care is given. So we have a new partnership with Banner MD and Anderson at their metastatic breast cancer clinic to allow patients to do their clinic visits virtually. So our nurses go into patient's home, do a full head to toe assessment, draw the necessary labs, provide that information back to the oncologist. And then the oncologist is able to do a video visit with that patient. So that patients aren't having to travel to the clinic and sit in waiting rooms and risk exposure to right now specifically COVID. But as we move out of this pandemic, other diseases that just occur within physician offices. We also are working to partner with our health plan to create disease specific pathways so that patients that have new diagnoses of chronic illnesses are able to utilize our telehealth to learn how to monitor being able to intervene early.
1: The deployment of telehealth and the video visits, particularly as it relates to some of the services you just described sounds one fascinating and two, we know it's gonna be here for a good long time. I think we'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. But why don't we start with the vaccine? Has your team, hopefully by now, uh, you know we're we're um, thirteen months or so into this. Hopefully your team's been able to get vaccinated. What's the status of uh, their situation?
2: Our team absolutely has been able to get vaccinated if they desired. We uh, at Banner did prioritize all of our patients or our clinicians that have direct patient contact with COVID patients to be able to get that vaccine in the first wave. And because we've been taking care of COVID patients at home from the beginning, we were able to start vaccinating our clinicians the first week that it was available within our state. We did find that there was a lot of questions and hesitancy I think amongst our clinicians like there is in the general population. So we worked really hard with our medical director to host town hall meetings once a week to be able to really describe the process and science behind these vaccines. And to date, we are seeing an increase in the percentage of our clinicians who have not only started the vaccine dosage, but have actually been able to get both doses and had that two week waiting period. And so we're really starting to feel like we're on the downward slide of this whole experience.
1: Wonderful, oh, that's great news. So, you know, the, the outbreak last March impacted everybody. It impacted your agency. What were the operational challenges at that time? Did you have to make any change to your operations? How did your staff respond? What was your thinking around that time and what were you able to implement?
2: Oh, wow, Jeff, that just really feels like an entire lifetime ago. I remember a March afternoon, I was down in our Tucson office working with the team on some new processes. And that was the day that the true magnitude of what we were looking at began to really descend upon, not only myself, but our team, as we were hearing that schools were starting to close and that um, we really started seeing that our workforce had kids that weren't gonna be able to go to school. And so what are we going to do and how many patients are we going to start seeing? I will tell you that afternoon, I was just so grateful that I had the privilege and honor of working as part of a large health system, and with that comes all of the support and resources and planning they had put into it. In fact, my team had all met together about two weeks earlier and did a full tabletop work through of what do we do as we navigate through a possible pandemic. So we that afternoon really started putting together plans to deal with the ppe shortage staffing shortage and all of the anxiety that people were feeling about the unknown and this disease that we didn't really quite understand exactly how to treat or how it was transmitted and in those initial weeks we had a huge pace of change it felt like every hour we were talking to our clinicians and giving them new guidance around Should they be masking? Should they not be masking? What PPE are we wearing? And when are we not seeing patients and when are we flipping them to video visits? We found that the clinicians were getting confused. And so we decided that we needed to be better at keeping everyone informed and up to date with the latest information. So we began to have regular leadership rounding. And then we started putting together a plan for consistent and regular communication down to all of the frontline staff and within two weeks we established a cadence that really just worked for the team and allowed them to feel connected heard and safe as a large post-acute group which includes not only home health but our hospice our home infusion our durable medical equipment our patient our senior centers in the community as well as our LTAC and our nursing home came together and had a daily town hall with our CMO where he was able to give them the latest information of what was happening with COVID not only in the states that we operate but also in our hospitals and updates about what the latest research was. We also gave them an opportunity to ask questions and those questions really guided us and let us know what our clinicians were worried about and concerned about so that we could address and get them that information. We then made sure that we put together as a home health team, a daily email that wrapped up the day for all of our clinicians and sent that out to them, reinforcing important messages, but also giving them resources to be able to deal with childcare issues as well as fear and anxiety. And we also took the step of putting the information from that email into a PowerPoint presentation and voice recording it, so that as our clinicians were driving between visits, if they didn't have time to read the email, they could listen to the recording and be able to hear all of that important information. Well, we've slowed down the cadence of that communication. It really has been a staff satisfier. And so we're keeping it up. And we send out those wrap up emails on an every other week basis. And we continue to have a once a week town halls with our chief medical officer.
1: It sounds to me like it was real time disaster, you know, work through. As much as you yes. might have tried to plan for a scenario like this, I don't think anybody quite envisioned what we were you know, going to encounter and um, the ongoing communications obviously are very valuable and could never hurt. So that's that's really fascinating and, and great to hear that you guys were so out front with your, your team members to allay their concerns and address any needs that they might have. Um,
2: yeah, we had a lot of lessons learned through that period of time. And it's fun to see how the team has adapted and grown, but my goodness, we're all getting tired
1: without a doubt. But I think we're, as you said, I think we're on the downhill slide now. And uh, hopefully, we can start to see uh, where we're headed. From a recovery standpoint, it'll take time to get there. But we're working on it for sure. So let me ask you, over the course of the last year, your team, have they had to deal with patients refusing visits or patients requesting discharges? And, you know, if so, how did you deal with those issues? Were you able to either manage or reduce the frequency of these requests?
2: Yeah, so we had some of that in March and April. And The other interesting thing that we encountered is patients living in assisted living facilities. The assisted living facilities not allowing staff to come in so that's one of those things that came out during town halls and that we as a leadership team got together talked about and really strategized how do we make sure patients get the care that they need but in a way that allows them to feel safe and protected so we created a lot of scripting for patient or for our clinicians so that they could kind of do that fact versus fiction with patients and really educate them about the risks but also educate them about all of the steps that we're putting in place to keep them safe. We developed infographics that we printed and were able to provide to the hospitals to give to patients on discharge as well as information that we were able to arm clinicians with so that they could hand those to patients, facility operators and family. And then as a system, Dana put together a lot of really great media campaigns that provided factual information to our communities and really leveraged the reputation and the knowledge of our fantastic medical staff to be able to help patients feel safe and know that the care that we provide is going to be helpful and that it really is absolutely necessary. And by May, we weren't really hearing any more about visits being refused. We did leverage some video technology when patients weren't able or were not comfortable with us coming in, but that really has decreased quite significantly since about May.
1: That's awesome. That, that's really great news, and and to to have that sort of business interruption at that level for two months or so or less is is really quite an a uh, quite an accomplishment for you and your team for sure. So as a result, have you had to change any processes due to the pandemic, such as, you know, required phone calls to patients or, or anything else that now have become part of your daily routine?
2: Absolutely. So one of the things that we implemented within a week, I think, um, of that really first Couple weeks in March is that all of our clinicians, before they go to any patient home, they do a complete uh, COVID screen asking about exposure to COVID, testing for COVID, as well as the family members. We also ha- increase the amount of chart review that our intake does to, with patients coming from our banner hospitals so that we make sure that our clinicians have really specific and accurate information about COVID diagnosis, COVID testing, and COVID symptoms. We also really quickly pivoted on being able to roll out video visits widely so that all of our clinicians could be leverage that technology. And we put together ways to run reports to be able to identify which of the patients on service could benefit from video visits so that we could increase the number of video visits we do, thus opening up availability for the staff doing visits in the field to be able to keep admitting patients from the hospital as our hospitals were trying to decant. And they have done a beautiful job and really the quality and skill that our clinicians are leveraging within those video visits is really impressive. And the thing that was most shocking to me is that those video visits are at least 75% the length of an in-person visit because of the quality of the assessment, as well as education and conversations that our clinicians are having with the patients.
1: That's truly impressive for sure. And, you know, look, as. Video visits and telehealth are here to stay. You know, you've moved to employing some remote technologies as uh, I think every provider in the country has uh, done so. Have you had any ongoing issues with getting medical supplies or PPE into your clinician's hands? Have you had to alter any of your approaches due to either limits on that or challenges with uh, uh, those kinds of uh, hard supplies? And then, you know, what about timeliness and communications for your staff or your patients?
2: Well, so you're taking me back to a time that I hope to never relive, Jeff. Early in the pandemic, I think that's probably true. So early in the pandemic, we did see some slowdown in us being able to get equipment. And in fact, initially when we were first starting to hear about this, we actually noticed that supplies were mysteriously walking away in some of our locations. So we even before the full force of the pandemic had moved to locking most of our PPE supplies and issuing PPE at a week by week basis to our clinicians. But again, this is one of those things that I was just so grateful to be part of a large system. When our normal PPE supplier ran short on masks or gloves, we were able to leverage the supply chain within Banner to be able to keep our clinicians up to date with all of their supplies. Now, there was a period of time back in April, if I recall correctly, where we were only issuing enough masks and gloves for two days at a time because the supplies were petering in. But at this point, Banner system as a whole has several weeks' worth of PPE on hand, and our clinicians are back to being able to order as they always have. And so just really grateful of, with our team being able to pivot and to manage that and again we used our safety huddles every single morning as well as our wrap-up emails to make sure that our clinicians were kept abreast of how much ppe they were going to be able to get on any particular day as well as what the current usage is because there were times where we wanted them to mask in a certain way and then we moved to using a mask with every single patient, and there just seemed initially in those beginning weeks that the PPE that was being recommended by the CDC and thus our infection preventionist at Banner shifted on an extremely regular basis. We even went to the point as our clinicians were having to do full PPE with a gown and um, a hair a booth. Don uh, cap. A lot of our clinicians hadn't donned and doffed full PPE since they left their training. And so we actually created online education for them to see the demonstration. And then we had people there who the clinician could do a return demonstration via video to make sure that they were being safe as they were donning and doffing the PPE.
1: Interesting. Okay. Was there anything special that you had to do to either retain or support your staff? Were there any specific challenges at the time or even ongoing challenges regarding staff retention?
2: So Jeff, this is the thing that really keeps me up at night as a senior leader. I just wanna first start by saying my entire staff in both states is simply amazing. They are a group of dedicated staff that focused on taking care of Sophia and going above and beyond because they understand their unique role as heroes through this pandemic. But it has been a humbling experience to see them go above and beyond and running at 120% for a year now. And so really thinking about how do we take care of them. And so we as a leadership team really ramped up providing back to them kudos. We have sent out gift certificates to our Banner store to say thank you for doing an incredible job. And we want you to be able to purchase something for yourself to show your pride as being part of Banner. We got for them over the summer, all Yeti cups so that in the Arizona heat, they could have a drink that stayed cold for the entire day. And we have tried that as we have staff meetings that we leverage Uber Eats or whatever the app is in the particular town that we're using to be able to send them a lunch or a treat to be able to say thank you for all of the great work that you are doing. We also, as a home health system, have sent out to them at least one survey asking them, hey, how's the communication working for you? Do you feel supported? Are there other things that we should be looking at? And then, of course, we had our annual employee engagement survey that came out from the system. At this point in time, as Arizona and Colorado is beginning to see the latest surge start to kind of settle down a little bit, We currently have contracted staff that we've paid for travelers um, still with us. And so we're at the point right now where we're encouraging as much of our staff as possible to take some much-deserved PTO so that they can rest and refresh and be able to continue taking amazing care of our patients in the community.
1: Well, your staff, along with all frontline workers, are definitely heroes, and they've really been just amazing to step up and do everything that's been asked of them to care for their patients, and that's just phenomenal. On the operations side, how have you handled, for example, scanning of documents and and other communications like that?
2: one of the things that I really locked out over. In December of 2019, we implemented a new electronic medical record. And while at the time I thought that we were ever so slightly crazy to be implementing a new EMR at the exact same time that we had a new payment system, looking back, we were so lucky that we had done it. Because with our transition to the new EMR, we were able to really reset all of our practices and culture that our clinicians are documenting point of care in a patient's home. And all of our consents are within their tablets. And so as soon as a patient signs their consent, it's already part of the medical record. And we don't have those papers going back and forth. The other thing that we did with like knocks and some of those other paperwork that we need to do for the federal government, we actually converted all of those to fillable PDFs so that our clinicians can provide the patient with a paper copy, but the patient can then sign the PDF on their tablet, and then it's emailed back to our medical records team, which uploads it to the chart. So that scanning of documents and worrying about losing paper is something that thankfully, knock on wood, we haven't had to deal with.
1: That's awesome. So you talk about paperwork. So here's you know, one of the things that dogs a lot of agencies are signed physician orders. What have you done to keep your physician and physicians and providers engaged and focused on the things you need to get completed from them?
2: Oh my goodness. In home health, the age old problem of physician's signatures So um, we really did leverage our business development team and got really, really creative. We were sending out to them informative emails, social media links, and continuing to contact them on a regular basis by phone. Our staff that is responsible for getting those orders back really did work hard to make it as easy as possible for physicians to be able to sign orders. We invested in the ability to send orders to physicians via DocuSign and again with the new EMR we actually implemented a physician portal which allows the physician to go in and sign all of their orders with a click of the button within the EMR. The other great thing that we used to sell that ability to physicians is the fact that they can then view all of our clinicians' records and visit notes as soon as those are sunk back to the system. So it's just a lot of continuing to build those relationships with physicians and talking about with them about how we can partner with them to really take amazing care of their patients.
1: Fabulous. I was laughing when you were moaning about physician orders because, as I said, that is definitely one of the thorns in, in every home care agency's side.
2: Absolutely.
1: Have your clinicians utilized any sort of two-way telehealth modality? If you have, how's that worked out? Were there, were there any other unique or cutting-edge solutions that you were able to leverage?
2: Well, so we definitely use two-way technology early in the pandemic. We um, went with our part- we went to our partnered agency that helps us with our telehealth program, and we're able to get in place a contract for bring-your-own-device options. And I'll tell you, my telehealth team works miracles. And in a weekend, they were able to put together educational material not only for patients but also for all of our clinicians so that they could step patients through how to download apps onto whatever device they wanted to use, whether it was their phone or their tablet or a computer desktop. And then all of our clinicians were outfitted on their system-issued iPhone with the app so that they could do a video visit with their patient at any time. Since that time, we actually have partnered with our system and are leveraging their video visit platform. It's a platform called eVisit, And this was a huge value add for our clinicians because no longer did our patients need to download an app, but the clinicians were able to either text or email to the patients a link. The patients were able to click on that link and the video visit was started. The great thing about that is not only were we able to send a link to the patient, but we could send the link to up to other five other family members. So now we have paid clinicians who are able to do video visits, not only with their patient, but with their son, their daughter, their brother, their sister, their loved one in another state, or maybe even in the house next door who haven't been able to be as involved in their loved one's care and they do a video visit all together so that the family and that support system can help reinforce all of the education that we provide to the patient. We also, with that bring your own device option, we able to allow patients who were concerned to enter their vital signs up to four times a day so that they knew there was a nurse looking at that and then contacting them if we saw anything going askew. The other thing that we did to really help our clinicians be able to know how to use a video visit and leverage it to its fullest potential is we created guides for each of the 12 PDGM diagnostic categories that outlined assessment questions, educational things, and the type of documentation that we're going to want in the clinical record to keep the patient on track. And those guides have really helped our clinicians bloom in how they interact with patients over the video.
1: That sounds like a phenomenal technology, which I imagine you guys will probably keep in place.
2: Yes, absolutely. My boss once said, never let a good pandemic go to waste. And so one of the things that I really, like I am a change agent. I love change. I love figuring out what's the next disruption we can do to improve the healthcare for our patients. And this pandemic has really springboarded our video visit and our utilization management and the way we engage with our patients forward by maybe even 10 years. Out of necessity, our clinicians were willing to try something new and learn how to use it to their advantage in a way that all of the change management and planning that I could have done in the world wasn't gonna impact the way don't let a
1: good pandemic go to waste. Yeah, exactly. no, that makes perfect sense. And, and uh, just phenomenal, phenomenal information. So it sounds like you've done a great job of deploying some technology that will continue to be used for um, a long time going forward. One last question as we wind up our discussion here today is deployment of your non-clinical non-clin- staff. Moving them to a remote type of setting, have you moved any of the, your uh, support staff to remote? And if so, what positions were they? How has it worked out? And one of the challenges when you deploy people remotely is having the uh, good ability to manage their performance and productivity and ensuring that you, you continue to develop your teams and uh, having uh, bilateral communications. How has that worked out for you?
2: So this is another one of those areas where I am not only grateful to be part of a large system, but also to have just, I think, the best leadership team there is out there. In a matter of five days, we were able to shift every single one of our office staff to being able to work from home. We got laptops to everyone who was on a desktop. We got everyone VPN logons and in five day turnaround we were able to allow anyone who wanted to work from home to be able to do so right now i have every single one of those teams still working at their house there are a few that for various different reasons like coming into the office and so they are coming into the office but the vast majority of our office staff are in their homes and they are writing in their homes My leaders have done an incredible job with staying connected with their teams. All of my teams are doing at least once a week huddles. Some of them, my intake in particular, does a daily huddle. And those are done through our team's application and it's on video so that my leaders can engage with their staff and see their reactions and be able to read some of that body language that is so important to make sure that we are connecting and meeting our employees' needs. The other thing that we did is, again, we have this new EMR that really gives us incredible visibility into what work is being done. So we didn't miss a beat in being able to manage productivity In fact, the satisfaction of our employees with being able to work from home and knowing that we trust them in that freedom, we've seen an improvement in productivity. Our orders are getting back faster, we're clearing bills faster, and our intake has been able to really increase the amount of volume of referrals that they're taking without any FTE ads. Now Banner as a whole has been really conservative and very cautious about infection prevention and disease spread. And so as a system, we're only now talking about bringing staff back into the offices in July. However, Banner as a system and our HR leadership did recognize that this is an employee satisfier, that productivity for the vast majority of these employees hasn't suffered. And so we are being encouraged from the highest levels to really look at, do we need to bring everyone back? Can we continue to provide them with that perk, with that benefit of being able to work remotely? And then also bring them together to celebrate as a team when it's appropriate. So all of my leaders right now are working on their work from home strategy where we're setting out what the expectations are things that we're going to monitor and how we know when we have someone who isn't thriving so that we can provide them with the support that they need and allow them to have that flexibility of working from home if they want to
1: outstanding what a phenomenal story uh, just great to hear uh, how uh, well you guys have been able to manage and how you've been able to pivot uh, the way that you and your health system have been able to do so My guest today has been Kim Lane, Senior Director for Post-Acute Operations at Banner Health. Kim, thank you so much for your time. I wish everybody a great day.
2: Thanks, Jeff.
0: At McBee, we understand the challenges providers face across the healthcare landscape. For more than 45 years, we've been a part of the evolution of the healthcare industry. Our strategic advisory solutions span the home health, hospice, health system, and senior living care continuums, creating improved clinical, financial, and operational outcomes. Our expertise is guaranteed. Our solutions empower. Visit us today at McBeeAssociates.com. Thank you for listening to McBee Care Threads. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. For more information on the topics discussed today, visit our website at mcbeassociates.com. Until next time.